Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Tent 2 on this hot Sunday afternoon. If you're anything like me, you've had a big lunch and you're slightly worried in the warm heat that despite how energetic Nathan is, you might drop off. But I'm sure he'll understand. We've had a fantastic weekend, haven't we? Just amazing, amazing weather, amazing times in God's presence, amazing speakers. Hannah served us so well the other night. And today we get both of them. We get Nathan and Hannah. It's like two for the price of one. So Nathan, Nathan is married to Hannah. And they have three children, and he leads uh, Brookhill, thank you so much, Brookhill Baptist Church in Virginia. And uh, Nathan has a real heart for nature and connecting with God through nature. And nature kind of reflects and glorifies God, and it shows us something of the, the glory of God. And it also helps us to understand the knowledge of God through nature. And this is something, I've, I'm a city girl, I've moved to the country recently to, to Salisbury and really just felt that real connection with God through nature. And we have such busy, frantic lives. I don't know about you, but my mobile phone's always pinging, emails coming in at all hours. And how do we, how do we get away, step away from our busy lives, frenetic lives where we're in front of screens and, and just information being fired at us from so many different angles? How do we step away from that? and just connect with God through nature and understand more of God's heart for us and understand for us more of who he is. And that's what Nathan's going to bring to us this morning. So a real passion for that. I can't wait to hear him. Let's give him a really warm welcome. He's going to come speak to us and then Hannah will chip in at the end as well. Over to you. Well, thank you for being here this afternoon. I was uh, saying that if it was 1.30 on a Sunday afternoon back home, I would be in bed taking a nap. So if you do not off, I totally understand. It's a little warm, although it's a nice, nice breeze, and uh, I hope you enjoyed your lunch, and uh, thanks for coming. Uh, as it was said, we're going to try to, I want to try to help you open your eyes to see the awe and wonder of God through the natural world. And as it was said, that we're so busy and there's so much around us that it's hard for us to focus on God's first revelation to us, and that was through the natural world. So uh, that's where we'll be headed uh, this afternoon. But before I do that, I wanted to do a little trivia or a little pop quiz to make sure you're awake and prepare you for... Uh, a session on nature. So I have six questions about nature to see how versed you are in natural revelation. And if you get, if you're the first one with your hand up with the correct answer, I have some beautiful prints. Um, Hannah's book, uh, Humble Roots, we had an artist uh, do some prints for that. If you hadn't had a chance to look at it, you'll see some of the prints here that I'll give out today. And she took six of them and made them into watercolors, and then uh, we have the opportunity to use them uh, in our seminars and sessions. All right, so the first question should be pretty easy if you're from Great Britain. Um, what is the, the national bird of England? Yes, ma'am. The robin. That is correct. The robin. I had to Google all of these. I didn't know what the na national bird of Great Britain is. All right, the second one, you don't have to be uh, uh, um, from Great Britain. You just have to be from Earth. And so hopefully all of you here this afternoon are from Earth. The scripture says that God knows all of the stars and he calls them all by name. What are the names of Earth? Earth's two celestial neighbors, not the moon, the two planets that are next to the Earth. Yes, sir. That is correct. Venus and Mars. Lovely print of some apples. All right, the next one Hannah actually struggled with, which I was slightly surprised. But as you know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, uh, Noah built a very, very large boat she puts a lot of animals in because there was going to be a flood. What is the largest living mammal, land mammal, now? The largest land mammal. Yes, ma'am. That is correct, an elephant. So I have a um, milkweed print. Very good. 
The scripture also says, we're going to tie a lot of the scripture together with nature, and hopefully you'll be able to, when you go back and have your own personal Bible reading, uh, you'll be able to connect nature with it. One of the things about the prophecies about Jesus when he was, it was being prophesied that he would be crucified on the cross, it was said, I believe it was in Isaiah, that not one of his bones would be broken. So how many bones are in a human body? Yes, sir. Ah, you're off. 206. (laughs) Very good. 206. So close. And actually, babies have more bones when they're born, and then, no, it was like 230, like, (laughs) when they're born, and then they kind of meld together after they're born. All right, this one might be a little tricky, but I think you'll probably figure it out. One of the things that the scripture says is that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, if you have kids, or if you just have stuff, you know, it's very easy to lose things. So the fact that God would never leave us or lose us is a pretty remarkable thought. Bats find prey in the middle of the night and throughout the day, I guess, well, I guess they sleep at night, and they find their prey, insects, using a very specific thing that God gave them to find their prey. What is that? Yes, sir? Echolocation. Yes, very good. Echolocation. All right, now the next one, the last one. This is the last one. So if you, if you haven't got a print yet, you got to get on the edge of your seat and get ready to answer this question. Again, it's a British question, British, British natural, the nature world. Um, there's a flower that is tough. It grows anywhere. It is a very delicate flower. And here in Great Britain, it is the emblem to remember those who have died. Yes, sir. Way in the back. A poppy, yes. <laughs> right, keep your hand raised. We'll run, run the print back to you. All right. So there was your little pop quiz on natural revelation. The text that I've chosen for this afternoon, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or, or your phone, or you can just listen because I'm going to read it to you. Um, I don't even know if I need to, you need to see it because you probably are familiar with it. It's one of my favorite psalms, and it's in Psalm 19, and I'm going to read the first six verses for us um, this, this, this afternoon. This is what David writes. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There's no speech. There's no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched his tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end, and nothing is hid from its heat. And here in this psalm, David is calling us to look to the natural world to see the glory of God. This was before there was the printing press. This was before there was technology. This was before we say we are so busy. And yet David, thousands of years ago, is saying, look at the heavens and you will see God. Look at the natural world, and you will see the awe and the wonder of who God is. And so if I could impress upon you or encourage you to do one thing from this session is, that, is this, is to open your eyes to the natural world, and in the natural world, you will see the glory and the wonder and the awe of who God is. I want to begin with a kind of a technical Uh, little section here, and that is about the word natural revelation. I've been using that word uh, this afternoon, and I I wanted to make sure that everyone knew what the word, the words, the phrase that I use of natural revelation is. Does that, is it, are people familiar with the phrase natural, raise your hand if you've heard that word before. Guy, (laughs) in the very back, has heard natural revelation. Okay, it's kind of an unusual term for uh, lingo in the church. It's more of a theological seminary kind of term, but it simply means, and if you break it apart, you know what the words mean separately. When you think of the word revelation, 
that is the unveiling of something. Uh, the, the showing of others what was previously unknown, perhaps revealing a secret. Uh, maybe a piece of artwork has been commissioned and, and they gather everybody around and it's still shrouded in the, the, uh, the, the, the sheet or the towel or whatever and, and they, they take it off and that there's the great revelation of, of this piece of art. Or if you've ever went to a uh, Broadway show or the theater, when they raise the curtains, that's the revelation of what is going to come. Or if you've ever seen the rollout of uh, Apple's products, they reveal the next new technology that they kept under wraps and they kept it secret. And so revelation is making known something. And then the word natural is just simply the things of nature. Uh, so the grass, the, the dandelions, the trees, the birds, the ocean, the skies, uh, nature is showing us something about God. And so natural revelation, we are learning about who God is, about his awe, about his wonder, about his majesty, and we are affirming that he is the creator of all of that. And like a master artist, he is revealing something about himself through his artwork. And so according to Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so all of creation shows us who God is. And I want you to be able to open your eyes and see God through natural revelation. One of the things about natural revelation in, here in Psalm 19 is that it is available to all. You don't have to speak English. You don't have to be from Great Britain. You don't have to be from America. You, you don't even have to be able to speak you can see the, the natural world, even if you're blind, you can feel it and taste it and touch it and experience it in such a way. And so, so this natural revelation, this common grace, this general revelation is available to all simply because we are immersed in it and we ourselves are part of it as well. Now, if, if you know Psalm 19, you know that the rest of Psalm 19 is about what we call specific revelation or uh, very clearly identified. It uses words like the law of the Lord, the precepts of God. And so, so the scriptures that we have are his direct revelation from God. And, and, and God says, I'm going to speak to Adam. I'm going to speak to Moses. I'm going to speak through the apostles of Isaiah and Paul. I'm going to give a very clearly defined message, such as the book of Ephesians. And so that is very specific revelation to a specific people, a specific church, a specific group of people from God. And natural revelation is available to all, and it is, uh, we're all immersed in it. So I like to look at it this way. The idea of natural revelation, the first revelation of God through nature, and the specific revelation, the scriptures, the words of God, the words from God, specific revelation, are like scissors, right? So with scissors, you have two parts. You have a left part and a right part. You can't cut anything with scissors if one of them is broken or missing or dull. Likewise, you both have a left hand and a right hand. And they, they do something slightly different, but they work together so that we can know God and know him fully. So let me give, see if I can give you an example of this, how natural revelation works together with specific revelation of the scripture. So if you are out in nature, if you are in the natural world, you will know something of a resurrection. You will know something of life after death. You will know that by the fact that come about December, or maybe a little bit before that, everything dies. The trees lose all their leaves, the grass dies. Everything kind of goes into a, a death. And then what happens in spring? Everything kind of comes back to life again. And so we see the idea of a resurrection in, natural, in the natural world, and we begin to wonder, is there something bigger than this? Am I part of this? We see a seed falling into the ground. I love to garden. I have a big vegetable garden, and uh, we do a lot of home uh, preserves. We make tomato sauce and soup and jam and jellies and all that. Uh, but you put a seed in the ground, and the seed has to die in order for there to be life. 
And so in the natural revelation, in the natural world, we see the idea of, of, of a resurrection, but we don't quite fully know the full picture. It's not until we have the specific revelation of the scripture that we know that it is Jesus, the Son of God, who is going to die and be planted in the ground, and then from his death, life comes back, and we are all part of that. And so we have both general revelation and specific revelation. So when you think about nature, one of the, you might say, well, what, why are you qualified to talk about that? And didn't you, didn't you, you probably came to hear Hannah more than you came to hear me. But, but uh, I just want to share a little bit about my background, about why nature is so important to me. I grew up in a very, very, very small and boring town. The town I lived in had one stoplight and 400 people. And the county that I grew up in, now this is the whole county. I'm not sure exactly how counties work here in, in Great Britain. But the county had 15,000 people. So the closest mall we had to, could be at was an hour's drive. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Growing up, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> it's the most boring thing, but, but now I, I love it. And, but, but I grew up immersed in nature. My sister and I, in order for us to play, we had to go down to the creek. My parents owned 15 acres, and we lived on a dirt road, and we had a creek to play in. That was our playground. Uh, my dad was also a forester. He was in charge of uh, he worked for the state of Virginia, and he was a forester. So I grew up immersed in nature, and I didn't realize that God was preparing me to see him through nature even as a kid. And I have a great love for nature. Hannah will tell you that I am most at peace when I am out in nature by myself. <laughs> now my kids, I love to take them hiking and camping and canoeing and all the stuff that fishing I love to do all that stuff out in nature, but there is something about being by yourself in nature that is especially nice. One of the things I like to do is I enjoy hunting. We hunt uh, white-tailed deer in the mountains of Virginia, and I always tell my kids, they always want to come with me every year, can I, Daddy, can we come with you hunting? And I said, well, at least give me a couple days by myself first before you come with me. I, I just love being in nature. I love being a steward of the natural world. Uh, like I mentioned a moment ago, I do all kinds of gardening, um, and I just love having my hands dirty uh, and just being out in nature. Uh, I'm also part of the Virginia Society of Ornithology, which is the uh, study of birds and the preservation and the conservation of birds and bird habitat. And I'm an artist, and I love to take photographs and draw uh, pictures uh, of nature. So I got, even before I came to realization of this, God was preparing me to uh, understand what natural revelation is and then being able to help people draw their eyes away from their cell phones, away from their computers, away from their busy world to see uh, the wonder and all of who God is uh, through uh, natural revelation. Now, I want to share with you a couple of things about the scripture. We're going to get to, this is kind of a long session. It's probably not going to be as long as you think it is. Um, but I'm going to have Hannah come share in, in a few minutes. And we're going to give you some practical uh, ways for you to become more in love with the awe and wonder of God through, through nature. But I just want to share with you a little bit about from the scripture beyond Psalm 19 about how the Bible speaks about creation how the Bible talks about natural revelation, how the Bible talks about nature. And some of these are kind of poetic, but I, I want you to release your imagination with me and, and, and wonder what this is going to be like. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah 55, 12. It says, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided the mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now, I know that is somewhat of a prophetic and it's somewhat poetic, but can you imagine with me if the mountains and the hills were to break into singing what they would be singing about? 
If you just see the Alps and Mount Everest, or you come to the States and you see the Blue Ridge Mountains, or you see the Rocky Mountains out west, can you imagine what their song might be like? Some of you who are more in tune with music, perhaps you go out into nature for your inspiration, but what would the mountains and the hills be singing? Let your imagination go. What, what would they be singing about? who God is or what he has done or how how full of majesty and power he must be to create Mount Everest. And he also says the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know, we're in the auditorium full of people, uh, and, and people are engaged in worship, and God loves that, and it's a sweet savor to him, but we are not all that God created. He created all of the trees, and it says that one day they will clap their hands for joy, and we will be able to, I think we'll be able to hear that audibly. I don't think it's just a poetic thing here. Paul talks about creation in, in the book of Romans, and he says that creation is, it, 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 it is broken. So there's a, a great awareness of, of the natural world through our secular society about climate change and all of these um, big pools of plastic that are in the ocean and the ice caps are melting and, and all of that. And, and as Christians, we, we realize that we have to play a part in stewarding and taking care of God's creation. But we also are reminded that it is broken. When you, when you stand at the Grand Canyon or when you look up into the night sky or when you even see your own reflection in the mirror, you realize that all of God's creation is struggling. It, it's, it's broken. And, and Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and the, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay unto the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until, until now. Not only that, but we ourselves have been the spirit as the first fruits. We ourselves groan, eagerly waiting for the adoption and redemption of our bodies. So I like to think, and I, I, sometimes I tell my kids this, and I like to remind myself that creation in nature is absolutely beautiful. You, you can go out and you, you can look at a piece of grass and see the glory of God. You can look at the leaves on the trees. You can... You can look at the, the sun setting and, and, and never, never be the same. Snowflakes falling. You can look at all of creation. You can stand at the Grand Canyon. You can stand in the Blue Ridge Mountains. You can uh, go to the English Channel and you can see the glory of God. But that picture's still broken. How much more glorious will it be when it, we have the new heaven and the new earth? And how much be more beautiful it'll be when we have the redemption of our bodies. We get a little taste of that in the book of Revelation because this idea of creation being part of both the fall and redemption alongside us as human beings is, this is what John says in Revelation. He said, I heard, and again, I want you to really listen to this. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them, saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Do you realize that one day, and a lot of times we talk about this, it's going to be awesome to see people from every tongue and language and nation surround the throne of the Lamb and sing praise to God? That's going to be amazing. And we're going to be part of that, but we're not the only participants in that. All of creation is going to sing the glory of God, everything in the waters and in the skies and on land. We're all going to be saying this together. The dolphins, the mice, the bats, the birds, us, the trees, the mountains, we're all going to be singing the glory of God because he has created us all, and he is redeeming us. Moving on, as you think about natural revelation, you think about nature specifically, 
of how it can show us the glory of God. So, so you might ask, okay, I, I, I get the idea of natural revelation. I, I, I see that it's part of God's thread and plan throughout all of human history. But what can I know about God through nature? I thought I would turn to a good authority on that, and that be Jesus. Jesus, if you look through his ministry and his teaching and his sermons, they were full of references to nature. They were full of references to natural revelation. And he uses the things that we can see in nature as a bridge to a specific truth about God. So he says this, are you struggling with anxiety? Are you struggling with believing him? Are you struggling with fear? Take a look out your window and look at the flowers. Okay, Jesus, I see the dandelions out there. I see the, the, the verbenum and the lilies. And what, what do you mean, Jesus? Listen to what he says. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do to you? Do for you, you of little faith. Don't strive for what you would eat and what you should drink. Don't be anxious. For the Gentile world seeks after these things, and your Father knows that you have need of them. So what can you learn from natural revelation? You can learn from the wildflowers that they are simply gorgeous. Solomon, the richest man in all of the time that would have been known at that time, in all his splendor. He doesn't come in comparison to the flowers that God has created. So don't worry. God will take care of you. He takes care of the flowers. He also takes care of the birds. You're struggling to believe that, that God will care for you? Pay attention to the sparrows. Now, being a I'm not really an ornithologist. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm a birder, I guess. It's a hobby, not, not a, a job. or I'm not a scientist by any means. Sparrows are one of the most dull and boring birds that there are. And they're all over the world as well. The little house sparrow is uh, just, just everywhere you go. And, and we've had a chance to travel all over, and, and you see them everywhere. Are you struggling to believe that God cares for you? Pay attention to the natural world. Pay attention to the sparrows. Listen to what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Insignificant. Everybody, my son, was so happy to find a pound out here. We don't have dollar coins. Well, we do, but we don't really use dollar coins. And so he was so excited that he found a, a coin that was worth more than like a penny. It was so excited for him. But a penny, insignificant amount of money. Two sparrows you can buy for a penny. What's the significance? What's the bridge to the truth from the natural world? This is what Jesus says. Not one of those sparrows falls to the ground without your father's consent. Not one of those little insignificant tiny birds falls to the ground without God knowing it. And so if you're struggling with the, 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 the truth that God cares for you, just look at the sparrows. He says this. He says, even the hairs of your head have all been counted. And I love what Jesus says. He sometimes has the driest sense of humor and the biggest understatement. He says this, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So two sparrows for a penny, you're worth more than many. You're worth more to God than the sparrows, and the sparrows are worth a lot to God. Again, I, I've circled back around to the truth of the resurrection, but Jesus uses natural revelation to teach us the truth of what the resurrection is. And I love the truth of the resurrection. But the people who are hearing Jesus at this time, they had never heard anything about a resurrection. I mean, we become so familiar with the resurrection of Jesus, and it's so part of our creeds and our songs and our affirmations. But before Jesus did it, it was unheard of. So how do you help someone understand 
what the resurrection is. Jesus uses nature. He says, Jesus replied to them, the hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. So if you have a bunch of wheat in your hand or in your bucket in your barn, it's just useless. It just remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He was using natural revelation. He was using nature to show the truth of what the resurrection is. So I want to spend, I guess, the rest of the time together. I want to just kind of maybe it be more practical, a um, little bit less theoretical, a little bit less theological as far as in Scripture, but let's go out to the natural world. How can we use, how can you use nature? How can you use, I want to op- you open your eyes to the glory and the wonder of God through nature. How do you do that? How do you go out into nature and... Think about God. What, 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 how does that help you? I want to offer a couple of thoughts, and then we'll get to some uh, real practical things and a couple of books that I like that I want to uh, share with you as well. One of the things that I think n- nature helps us do is it helps us read our Bibles better. So if you're out in nature and you understand, like even last night um, when the gentleman was preaching about the storms of Galilee and, uh, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee, and he tells you that the, the waves come up three meters. That gives you a sense of perspective of what the disciples were going through. When you understand nature, it helps you go back into the Scripture, and you read the Scripture with greater understanding of, of what's going on. My dad and a buddy just took a two-week trip out west of the United States, and he brought me back some jasper, which are some, it's a rock. I don't think I'd ever seen jasper before, but you know, in the book of Revelation, that's one of the stones that are on the, that are mentioned in the, in the book of Revelation about jasper. So if you understand what jasper is, you can understand a little bit about what the book of Revelation is talking about when it talks about those precious gems. Talk about a pearl of great price. All of these things give you a, a greater understanding or it also gives you the greater understanding of the miracles of, of, of the Old Testament. So when Moses raises his staff and millions of people walk over, on, over the Red Sea on dry ground, you know that dry ground doesn't just happen when you move water out of the sea. So when you understand nature, you understand the natural world, it helps you understand your scripture. It also helps you, I, I believe it helps us have as Christians, it helps us combat doubt. It helps us know that our faith is reasonable. One of the things I love about nature is I think that um, I see nature as artwork. And behind every great artwork, there's an even greater artist. So it helps us to know that our faith is not unreasonable. Uh, We don't have to struggle with doubt. We can see that, yes, God's hand has created all of this. And we can know that his his glory and his wonder is, is behind that. Like I mentioned with Jesus, he illustrates truths about God through the natural world. And lastly, uh, the last part of how we can use natural revelation is I want you to think about this. It's easy for us to look at natural revelation. We think of the grass, the dandelions, the trees, the birds, the sky, the fish, the oceans, the, the, the rivers, the creeks. But I want you to understand this as well, that you, as a human being, are part of natural revelation. That you are a created being, created by a creator, and you were made to give glory to God. Our worship of God should be informed with the fact that he is our creator. All right, now, I told you I was going to spend some time practical steps of increasing your observation of nature. Uh, But before I do that, I want to let Hannah just share a little bit about uh, how she used nature in her books. Um, If you uh, had a chance to read Humble Roots, you know that it was a key theme throughout uh, Humble Roots, and I just want her to share some of the practical ways that she used nature uh, in her writings. Like Nathan, I grew up in a more rural context. And in fact, um, our s- the similarity in our backgrounds is one of the things that God used to bring us together. So 
So I just want to share this story um, quickly because it's really important to us and it's important to the way we move through the natural world. So I grew up um, in a fairly rural space as well, not as rural as where Nathan grew up. Um, but I went off to college in a pretty suburban space. Um, and I was there, I think it was my sophomore year, and I was really, really homesick. And it was uh, spring. And back home in the spring, um, we have something called spring peepers. And they begin to sing, and that's when you know springtime has come. Um, in the Appalachian Mountains, spring is very much like, is it here? No, it's not. It's winter again. Uh, maybe spring's coming. Nope, it's winter again. And so we have this fluctuation uh, for several weeks. But when the spring peepers begin to sing, you know spring is coming and it can't be stopped. And so then you can actually hope spring's coming. Um, and so I was in the south, in South Carolina. It's much hotter down there. I was in this suburban context, and I was just feeling very homesick. And I would say to my friends, oh, I miss the spring peepers. And they would just look at me like, huh, what is that? Is that a chicken? Is that a bird? I was like, no, no, never mind. It's not even worth having this conversation with you. And I would say that over and over again to people, friends and roommates, like, oh, I'm just feeling so depressed because I really miss hearing these spring peepers. And then we had just met, and we were walking back from dinner, and it was right at around the time in the evening when the spring peepers would come out and start singing. And I said, oh, I just miss spring peepers. And he goes, I know, I know, I miss them too. I miss those tree frogs. Spring peepers are tiny tree frogs that sing, and it's a mating call, ironically enough. And so for us, that spring peeper, that link that God had placed in our backgrounds became something of a mating call, I guess, um, and drew us together around this kind of shared life. And it was one of the things that I really cling to in God's providence, even when we have tough times or difficulties, that God was at work in our backgrounds um, in rural spaces to give us a heart and to give us a passion for similar things um, and bringing us together. And so in my writing, um, it's not the case in all the books, but certainly in Humble Roots, um, the natural world and the imagery that we ha see in natural revelation has become a key part of the way I teach and the way I, I think. And one of the things I, I think I wanted just to share, because this affects how you read your scripture as well, um, it's the use of the metaphors and imagery of nature within literature or within writing. So if you're reading your scripture, there are a couple ways where you could think of when you encounter um, a natural um, element, like Jesus talking about the sparrows. And, and you could potentially think, oh, well, they live in an agrarian society, right? That's back then. We don't live in that time as much now. So, of course, he was using those metaphors because that's what made sense to them. And so you could, you could appreciate it from a distance and say, okay, I can see why that would work for that crowd, but that's not the way we think or move through the world today. Another thing you could do is encounter it in, um, in the scripture and say, what a good illustration as if the illustration were somehow serving this broader, deeper um, intellectual concept. And one of the things that I've become convinced of, though, in both my own writing and in the scripture, is that's doing an injustice to what God is doing through natural revelation. So actually, the illustration is the point. It is as much the story as the truth that you derive from it. The parable is itself the truth. Um, and the fact that we need someone to explain the parable <laughs> is more testament to our dullness than the fact that natural revelation is somehow, um, you know, this illustration or this thing that only applies to certain people. And what I want to um, just explain in the process of my writing, if you've read Humble Roots, I try very, very hard um, to incorporate what may look like illustrations. 
So for example, I'll use this one example um, to, to, uh, for those of you who haven't read the book. Um, in, um, trying to think, does somebody have a print of, oh, you've got the book, good, good, good. Um, I'm trying to think, which prints did you pass out? Uh, okay, well, well, let's talk about blackberries. Okay, blackberries were great. I love, love blackberries. I should have brought my pot of jam. Um, you can hold on to it. So, um, in the natural world, blackberries grow wild and free and abundant. And um, we were actually at Arn, um, the nature reserve down near um, Poole in Bournemouth, and my youngest son was just running through picking blackberries the whole time and just eating them. But if you've ever been blackberry picking, you know that um, the the canes are covered in sharp pricks and thorns. And so it can be a dangerous thing. It can be a process that takes a lot of work. There's a lot of um, you know, pain involved. It also is true that blackberries come to fruit in the hottest part of the summer. So if you're out for any length of time picking blackberries, you're also going to be very uncomfortable. You're going to be sweaty and hot. And you have the choice either to wear long sleeves to protect yourself from the brambles and the thorns and to be very, very hot under the sun or to be snagged by the brambles. But that same bush that has the thorns and the pain attached to it also has the fruit attached to it, also has the reward and the lusciousness and the sweetness. And this is really a physical embodiment of the truth of the brokenness of this life that we live in, right? All through scripture, thorns are not just an illustration of evil and brokenness, but a physical manifestation of it. It is embodiment. So that is no less um, an illustration. It's not just an illustration. It is what is happening in the world for us. So now when we move into the world to pick blackberries or to um, you know, encounter the thorns, it's not just the thorns of this life and a metaphysical or a sense of metaphor. It is the actual embodiment of evil in this world. And at the same time, God has provided that that same experience is going to bring you the reward and the lusciousness of the fruit and bring provision to you as you are moving through the world um, that is broken. And so I don't know if this is a little too esoteric, but one thing that God's really impressed upon me is to become aware that the natural world is not this shadow of a real thing, okay? It is the real thing, and we in our bodies moving through it are existing in the realness of it. And so when I try to write, um, I wrote a chapter on blackberries, and I use that to explain the theological, to explain the theological truth of evil and the, the problem of suffering in this world. And there are many other ways we suffer in this world, not just from getting um, snagged by a blackberry bush, but that is a true suffering as well. And so when we think, like Nathan mentioned, of natural revelation and specific revelation or the physicality of the natural world versus like a spiritual um, experience of life or a theological experience of life, these are two sides of the same coin. They are not separated from each other. They are the same thing. They are just two different w expressions of the same problem. So as you're reading the scripture from a literary perspective, um, and I really work hard to try to do this in my writing, um, it's better if you can learn to marry those things and to say, this is not just a picture. This is not just an illustration. This is the true thing as much as um, our theology is true, as much as we know our spiritual life is true. This is much part of the reality of redemption that God is bringing to life again. And so I just wanted to talk about that from an aspect of how would we um, think about metaphors or illustrations from the natural world, both in the scripture and in other forms of writing or teaching. It, it really is important that we remember that they are both real, and they are serving each other, um, but one is not necessarily subservient to the other, in that sense. 
All right, now I want to spend some time just telling you or, or encouraging you or teaching you how to observe nature, how to open your eyes so that you can see the natural world around you. The first one is kind of perhaps understated, but that is to pay attention. There is, I'm, I'm not entirely versed with all the culture in, in Great Britain, but I know in the United States that people can go from their garage in their house, get in their car, drive to work, park in a parking garage in a city, take the elevator up to their office, go back the same way, and never actually be out in nature. God has given us the natural world to reveal himself. So just like we say, you hear it preached, read your Bibles, be in the scripture, go to church, all of those things, I would say we need to have an equal focus on paying attention to nature, of just taking the time to get out in nature and let God speak to you. Take the time away from your family, away from uh, anybody else, to just take a walk by the shore or in a park or in your backyard or in the woods, but just carve out regular time to immerse yourself in the natural world and just allow God to show you himself through what he has created. One of the exercises I did in preparation for this is I asked a couple of groups that I was on on Facebook what was their, what, what did they learn about God from nature, but from being out in nature. And some of the things that were said were, uh, I love how nature shows how small we are. It gives us a proper perspective on ourselves. Well, how will you ever get that unless you're out in nature? How will you ever get a sense of perhaps the beauty, the absolute stunning beauty of God unless you sit and pay attention to a sunset? And I'm big on sunsets rather than sunrises. <laughs> you know, don't have to quite get up so early to see the sunrise. But pay attention to the beauty. Get out and just stop and sit undistracted and watch the sunset when will you actually get to see the majesty and the power of God unless you're standing at the ocean that wide vast the vastness get out in nature get out there have you ever just stopped and picked up a flower and noticed how intricate the petals were, and the pollen, and the stamen, and how it all works together. Get out, pay attention, open your eyes, immerse yourself in nature. One of the other comments that one of my friends made on uh, this Facebook post, when I asked about nature, and when she said this, I, I, I thought, wow, that is, that is amazing. She was talking about birds, and she was talking about how that we see God, uh, we, we see his, his wisdom and his imagination, sometimes his, his humor. I mean, what person would put together the duck-billed platypus? I mean, that, that is kind of mind-blowing. That, that, uh, perhaps it's all the leftover parts that God had when he was creating uh, all the different animals, and he stuck them all on one. But we learn about God's wisdom and his imagination when we're paying attention. But he, she says this. She says, the variety, of, the variety of flowers that exist. We know our God's not boring because he has given us so much to enjoy. He could have made the entire world black and white. But he made it so beautiful in the hues and the colors. But she goes on. The variety of flowers that exist and of the birds. It's one thing to know of the existence of the white-breasted nuthatch. But to watch it hang upside down from the side of a tree and flit to the feeder and back, and this is what caught me, while I breathe the same air as that tiny bird. And I have thought about that since she mentioned that, that we all breathe the exact same air of all God's creation. 
Get out in nature. Pay attention. Open your eyes. I would encourage you if something captures your attention in nature, don't let that awe just pass. Perhaps go in a little deeper and study some part of that that interests you. I don't know what that may be for you. For me, it's birds. And I'll tell you how this got started. We had just moved to the city that we're in, into Roanoke, and I was looking for ways to be involved in the community. And I saw a little advertisement in the paper about the Roanoke Valley Bird Club. And I thought, well, kind of, I like nature. I like being out in nature. I don't know a lot about birds, but I'm going to go to this, this bird club. Well, so then I thought I, did, I was doing some more reading on birds. I had picked up a few books from the library, and then I realized that John Stott was also a birder. And he wrote a book, if you're into birds or would like to be into birds, John Stott wrote a book called The Birds Are Teacher. And I picked that book up, and I began to see, wow, this is how it all connects. This is how God teaches us. And so in the book, he, he, John Stott talks about how that the birds' migration patterns teach us the principle of repentance, of the pigeons. Who thought you could learn something from pigeons? But the pigeons, when they drink, they give praise to God because they look up to the heavens to get the water to go down their, uh, down their throats and some of the other things. But, but allow the, the, the interests that you have to guide you into deeper studies. I don't know if there are any pastors or church leaders here uh, in this session, but let me encourage you, if there are, to preach series of messages on nature. So I've done this three times. I preached a whole series on birds, six messages, six Sunday mornings on birds, I did a session on trees, six, six sessions on trees of the Bible, and then six sessions on animals, sermons throughout the year, throughout the, the course of the last six or seven years. Sometimes as you prepare messages as a pastor, you, you, you prepare the theological rich message, and you're so excited about it, and you share it on a Sunday morning, and it just goes... I have had more people respond to the messages of the birds that I preached than some of the, any other messages that I've preached. So if you're a pastor, uh, share. You be the leader in your spiritual uh, sphere to lead people to pay attention to nature. There's a lot, there's a, a, a huge move to journal your devotions, to journal what God teaches you out of Scripture. I would Add, add a notebook for your observations of nature. Uh, observe. Don't, don't just get out there and look, but really let it soak into you. Uh, keep a journal of observations. I remember as a kid, uh, my dad had a little calendar uh, by our back door, and he would record uh, the rainfall for every day. And it was just kind of a, I thought it was an odd thing. But now it's, it's like you're, you're paying attention to, to God's provision. It was probably because he also gardened as well. But keep a journal. There's a, a, a book that Hannah had bought me uh, probably two or three weeks ago, or just before we came over. And it, it lays out observations of nature, and it, it has five different years all on the same page, and you keep track of when the birds show up, when the spring peepers show up, when the, when the flowers begin to bloom, when it gets cold, the first frost, the first snowfall, and then you can see how things change. Get out in your community. This is a great way to connect with people in your community who aren't Christians because they're in all of nature already. You know, you might say, well, come along to church, and they say, well, I'm not a Christian, I don't, I don't want to go to church, but if you go out to them and say, hey, I want to be part of your, the bird club or uh, the, the, the naturalist club or the wildflower club or whatever kind of clubs you have uh, here, uh, go out and be part of them. It's a great way to connect. If you're an artist, whether you sketch, write music, take pictures, Focus your eye to see the glory of God in nature. One of my favorite photographers uh, in America is Ansel Adams, and I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he was a, a man who took pictures of the, of the west and the mountains, and he did it all in black and white. 
and it, it shows the crispness and the, and the, the beauty uh, of God's creation through his photography. So if you're an artist, uh, go out and sketch, draw, uh, train your eye to see the glory of God through nature. Um, also, this might sound a little odd, and you might think this is a little too far for you, but I've enjoyed it, is collect specimens. When we take walks with our kids, um, there's a, a whole place in our basement where we put things that we pick up from nature. Uh, we have bird's nests, we have deer antlers, we have bugs, dead, of course. Uh, we have uh, seeds, pine cones, rocks. Uh, my daughter likes to collect water from different places. Um, so just uh, allow yourself to be immersed by, by collecting things. Maybe there was a project we did with the kids where, uh, and this is a, a great idea if you're a parent, uh, do these things with your kids. Show them that there is life <laughs> outside tablets and iPhones. Uh huh. As they're sitting in them, on, if my kids are back there playing right now. But um, we did a bug collection with our kids. And I remember we had this big uh, styrofoam board in our garage, and we would just pick up bugs. Sometimes we would catch them live and put them in formaldehyde or um, alcohol and let them die. And we had this big collection of bugs. It's like our own, our own natural history museum. Take your, if you live in London or live in a big city, go, go to these places and, and don't just take your picture for Instagrams and move on, but actually observe all the specimens. There is a museum I would love to, to visit. I'm not sure if we'll have time, but there is a natural history museum that's connected to the one in London, but it's in what town is it in? I don't know, it has all the bird skins from, um, uh, from Darwin and a lot of other uh, natural history collectors, uh, just all birds, and it was robbed uh, several years ago, and I read the book. But anyway, that's a side note, neither here nor there, but um, pay attention. Speaking of um, phones and tablets, there are a lot of apps that are wonderful to help you know more about the natural world. Hannah mentioned we went to uh, the uh, Nature Preserve uh, a couple of days ago, and I have several bird apps on my phone, and so I'm sitting here trying to figure out which bird this is and what color it is and where it's at in the, its flight patterns and all of that, um, simply because I don't know. So there are a lot of good things you can use for technology. If I could impress you with one thing, that is to open your eyes to the awe and wonder of God through nature. It's his first revelation of himself to us. I want to close my talk with this um, story, and then we'll have some, I think we have some time for some questions, answers, if you, if you want. There was a man named Carl Borg, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was Swedish, uh, a Swedish pastor, and he was an editor and also a member of the Swedish parliament. And he enjoyed a, a nice walk. He was enjoying a nice walk out in nature when a thunderstorm suddenly appeared out of nowhere. If you've ever been out in a thunderstorm, that's one of my favorite weather, weathers to be out in. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. Um, probably first is snow. I love, love the snow. But anyway, this man was out uh, taking a nice walk when a thunderstorm arose. Severe wind began to blow. After the storm was over, Mr. Borg uh, looked out over the clear bay, and words began to form in his mind. And the poem that he wrote was entitled Ol Sturgud, which is, I think, Old Great God in Swedish. It was published in 1891 in The Witness of Truth, the weekly newspaper that he edited. And later it was translated into German, and then it was also published in Russian as well. An English Methodist missionary was a missionary to the Ukraine, and he found this little poem, and he set it to music and sang it at an evangelistic meeting with his wife. And then he brought it over to England during World War I, and then eventually it became a famous hymn both in the United States, or both in Great Britain and the United States. And this is the hymn it is. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook 
and feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he died and bled to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. So. Wasn't that great? I almost saw in my mind's eye as Nathan and Hannah were sharing. It's almost like they were just painting this massive picture behind them. Just this great artwork of, of revealing nature through scripture. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Does anyone have any questions that they're burning to ask? Either Nathan or Hannah. Be brave. Yeah, well, you're ready for your nap. <laughs> One over there. As someone who works in a country, country park myself, um, I can find it much easier to relate to God through seeing the seasons rather than coming into church. Um, but sometimes times it's difficult to, I mean, what advice would you give me to, say, inspire me to seek God more, more in creation? Like, I'm trying to encourage people to give me their old old boots to make up bird, bird boxes, or I'm trying to, um, well, yeah, just ins inspire me. <laughs> That's a tough question. I think one of the things that we've learned is that, especially in ministry, it's very easy to have this, well, here's the spiritual things that we do that, that God values, and we put time and energy into that, and then there's these things that we value and we love, um, and one of the things that's been important for us is breaking down that wall, breaking down that divide, and one of the things that we do is Nathan gardens a whole lot. I'm an assistant. The kids are assistants in that process. Um, but we preserve food. So throughout, we just finished up, like, our summers um, preserving food, um, what, hundreds and hundreds of jars of food. And it all sounds very quaint, but right in the middle of it, we looked at each other and said, why are we doing this? <laughs> like, why are we spending all this time doing this? And what we came to is we felt like we were um, stewards of a way of life or stewards of a certain type of art or stewards of a certain type of practice. And so I think the concept of stewardship has become very important to us in terms of the kinds of things that we would help draw. Because there aren't as many people our age or in our community doing those things. Um, there may not be a lot of people, you know, who have eyes for the natural world that you have. I know Nathan is, I think he's he's unique in this respect. Um, I don't know a lot of men or pastors who are like, I'm a naturalist. Like, they'll be, I'm a sporty guy, or I'm a weightlifter, or I do fight club, or I do all this. And, you know, Nathan's a naturalist, and I believe firmly that he has been given those gifts to draw other people's attention to that, something that they would not necessarily do. So if you have a heart for nature, steward what you do and let your joy and your enthusiasm um, draw other people into something that they may not naturally um, be drawn to and, and feel at peace with it. See it as a good gift that God has given you to steward. Um, invite people into that while you're testifying to the creator and testifying to the glory of God. And I think what I've seen for us is people come around us and they're like, oh, well, that's a little bit of an unusual thing you do. Oh, I would have never thought to do that. And what it is doing is it's sparking in them something that they maybe wouldn't have done themselves. So I think if you're faithful to the things God has placed in your heart and in your desires, and as you pursue that, you're going to be a guide and a light for other people just by your own interest and your own faithfulness to the stewardship of that. 
Anybody else? Yes. Can you recommend some materials how to teach children being out in the nature about God? I have two uh, that I, I wanted to uh, recommend, um, and they are to adults, and I'll have to think about kids in just a second. Uh, one I mentioned for uh, adults is um, The Birds Are Teachers by John Stott. Um, that's a fantastic uh, book. There's also a book um, called Forest Unseen. Uh, the author's name is Haskell. And in that, he teaches you how to observe nature. So he took a whole year and every day at the same time, he went out in nature, the same spot in his woods for an hour. Same spot, same time of day, every day for a year, and then wrote a book about it. And just teaches you how to observe. And um, so those are two books I wanted to, to share with you. As far as kids, I can't think of anything right off the bat. I would, I would Google... Um, uh, or maybe if you want to give your email to me, I'll see what I can find. Um, we have enjoyed as kid, uh, with our kids um, just being out there and doing it. Um, there's uh, lots of nature programs on Netflix and Amazon. Um, and even though they might be from more, maybe an even more um, evolutionary mindset, there's still a joy to watch with your children because they're amazingly beautiful. Um, uh, we did some magazines with the kids. I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah, they're you from the United States. Um, either see me or email me and I'll see what I can dig up and I can find. Do you have any? Well, I was just going to say, um, our kids don't get a choice. Like, we do what we want to do and they come with us. So we drag them through the nature preserves and we drag them through the natural history museums and you know, if you want this, like, all beautiful, quaint children inspired by the natural world around them, that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> you've got to teach them how to look and how to observe. Um, so in the States, one of, um, uh, you may be familiar with the author Wendell Berry. I don't know if anybody knows that name. Um, he's a bit of a naturalist, um, a uh, farmer, and there's a documentary called Look and See, and it's about his life, but his children talk about growing up with him as their father. And basically, the approach that he took to teaching children about natural revelation was to say, stop, look, and see that thing. And then as the father, he would show them, I want you to see why that is good. I want you to see what's happening there. And he would be the guide and, and the the hinge is look and see. And I think really that's been, as parents, that's what we're doing with our children. Like, we have to be out there with them in the places and then forcing, I mean, like literally forcing them, stop, you're running around, you're, you're doing this, you're distracted, stop and look and let's see what we see about this thing. All right, anything else? All right, well, I'm going to dismiss you, I guess, and let you go about your afternoon activities and just ask you to keep your eyes open to the glory of God in nature. Thank you so much. Thank you.